0: Welcome to Always Responding, a podcast for all first responders. I'm KB, a 19-year veteran with law enforcement. If you're new to the podcast, welcome, and thank you for listening. If you're a returning listener, we are so happy and blessed you are here, and thank you for your continued support. I'm very excited to introduce my new co-host here on Always Responding. He's been in law enforcement for over 22 years. Ten of those years spent as a canine officer and five as a narcotics officer. I've had the privilege of working closely with this man and also being able to call him a very close friend for all of my 19 years in law enforcement. Please help me welcome to Always Responding my new co-host, Sean. Welcome, brother. Thank you. Sean, one of the items we like to cover here at the beginning of every episode of Always Responding is to pay tribute to the first responders who paid the ultimate sacrifice and were killed in the line of duty.
1: Unfortunately, those numbers keep rising, KB. We are up to 136 law enforcement officers killed in the line of duty so far this year.
0: Sean and I will now read the names of the latest officers who have paid the ultimate sacrifice and were killed in the line of duty. They are Reserve
1: Officer Jeffrey Richardson, Poteet Police Department, Texas. End of Watch, Wednesday, June 29th, 2022. Reserve Officer Jeffrey Richardson was struck and killed by a drunk driver while directing traffic at a construction zone in the 11,700 block of North Mopac Expressway in Austin. He was working a secondary employment assignment when he was struck at 2 a.m. The driver who struck him was arrested and charged with intoxicating assault. Officer Richardson was 35 years old. His badge number was 486, and he is survived by his wife and
0: five children. Deputy Sheriff Bradley Johnson, Bibb County Sheriff's Office, Alabama. End of the watch, Thursday, June 30th. Deputy Sheriff Brad Johnson succumbed to a gunshot wound sustained the previous day at about 5 p.m. when he and another deputy were shot by an auto theft suspect near the intersection of Alabama 25 and Bulldog Bend Road. Deputies pursued the stolen vehicle until it stopped, and the man opened fire, striking Deputy Johnson and the second deputy the man fled on foot and remained at large until being taken into custody at approximately 16 hours later. Deputy Johnson remained on life support until his organs could be donated. Deputy Johnson had served with the Bibb County Sheriff's Office for seven years. He is survived by his fiancée, two children, and his parents. He was 32 years old, been with the department for seven years.
1: Captain Ralph Frazier, the Prestonburg Police Department, Kentucky. End of Watch, Thursday, June 30th, 2022. Captain Ralph Frazier and Police Officer Jacob Chaffins, along with Deputy Sheriff William Petrie of the Floyd County Sheriff's Office, were shot and killed in Allen by a subject who was wanted for a domestic violence offense. Several warrants and a protective order had been issued for the man after he assaulted a family member. As two Floyd County deputies arrived at the man's home on Main Street near Railroad Avenue to serve warrants, the man opened fire. Numerous jurisdictions responded to assist following the initial shooting. The man fired hundreds of rounds from pre-positioned firearms throughout the home. Deputy Petrie and Captain Frazier were killed during the incident. Officer Chaffin succumbed to his wounds the following day. Three other law enforcement officers and the director of emergency management were wounded. K-9 Drago, also of the Floyd County Sheriff's Office, was also killed during this incident. The subject was taken into custody after remaining barricaded in the home for several hours. He was charged with multiple counts of murder of a police officer, attempted murder of a police officer, and assaulting a service animal. Captain Frazier had served with the Prestonburg Police Department for 39 years. His badge number was
0: 504. Deputy Sheriff William Petrie. Floyd County Sheriff's Office, Kentucky, End of Watch, Thursday, June 30th. Deputy Sheriff William Petrie, as well as Captain Ralph Frazier and Police Officer Jacob Chavins, both of the Prestonburg Police Department, were shot and killed in Allen by a subject who was wanted for domestic violence offenses. Deputy Sheriff William Petrie was also part of the incident that killed Captain Frazier, as mentioned above. Deputy Sheriff William Petrie had been with the department for 15 years. He was 31 years old, badge number 214.
1: Police Officer Jacob Russell Chaffins, Prestonburg Police Department, Kentucky. End of watch, Friday, July 1st, 2022. Police Officer Jacob Chaffins was killed in the line of duty during the same incident that took Captain Ralph Frazier's life as well as Deputy Sheriff William Petrie's life. Officer Chaffins was a Kentucky National Guard veteran who served with the Prestonburg Police Department for three years. His badge number is 533 and he was a military veteran.
0: Sergeant John Williams, Coralville Police Department, Iowa. End of watch, Sunday, July 3rd. Sergeant John Williams suffered a fatal heart attack after responding to a shooting call in the 900 block of Boston Way. The shooting occurred in an apartment and involved a three-year-old victim. Sergeant Williams was on scene of the incident when he began to experience symptoms of a heart attack. He was transported to a local hospital where he passed away a short time later. The child later died from the gunshot wound he suffered. Sergeant Williams had served with the Coroville Police Department for 28 years. He is survived by his wife, four children, and one grandchild. He was 59 years old, been with the department for 28 years, badge number 376.
1: Police Officer Lauren Courts of the Detroit Police Department, Michigan. End of watch, Wednesday, July 6, 2022. Police Officer Lauren Courts was shot and killed while responding to a shooting call near the intersection of Joy Road and Marlowe Street at 7:30 p.m. When Officer Courts and his partner arrived on scene, the subject immediately began shooting at them, striking Officer Courts. His partner returned fire and killed the subject. Officer Courts was transported to the Sinai Grace Hospital where he succumbed to his wounds after a short time later. Officer Quartz had served with the Detroit Police Department for five years and was assigned to the second precinct. He is survived by his wife, son, daughter, and parents. His father had recently retired from the Detroit Police Department. His tour with the police department was of five years. He's badge number 611.
0: We also pay tribute to all canine officers killed in the line of duty. We will now read the names of the following canine officers who have paid the ultimate sacrifice. K-9 Odin, Virginia State Police, Virginia. End of watch, Sunday, June 26. K-9 Odin died of smoke inhalation after a fire started in his handler's patrol car. His handler had stopped at the Virginia State Police area office in Buckingham County while on patrol and Odin remained created in the patrol car. A fire sparked inside of the vehicle, and K-9 Odin suffered severe smoke inhalation. He was transported by ambulance to an emergency veterinary clinic in Farnsville, but died later in the evening. K-9 Odin has served with the Virginia State Police for three years. He was a Belgian Malinois, male, four years old. K-9
1: Cannon of the Fountain Valley Police Department in California. End of Watch, Tuesday, June 28, 2022. Canine Cannon died after showing signs of heat stroke while participating in training exercises at 1500 Raymond Avenue in Fullerton. He was transported to the local emergency animal hospital where he succumbed to his heat stroke that evening. Canine Cannon had served with the Fountain Valley Police Department for three years. He was five years old. He was a Belgian Malinois, male, five years old, and he served with the police department for
0: three years. Canine Drago, Floyd County Sheriff's Office, Kentucky. End of Watch, Thursday, June 30th. Canine Drago was shot and killed in Allen by a subject who was wanted for domestic violence offenses. As two Floyd County deputies arrived to serve the warrants and protective order, the man opened fire, striking both deputies. Numerous jurisdictions responded to assist following the initial shooting. The man fired hundreds of rounds from pre-positioned firearms throughout the home. Deputy Sheriff William Petrie and Captain Frazier of the Prestonburg Police Department were killed during the incident. Four other law enforcement officers and the Director of Emergency Management were wounded. The subject was taken into custody after remaining barricaded in the home for several hours. He was charged with multiple counts of murder of a police officer, attempted murder of a police officer, and assaulting a service animal. Breed, Belgian Malinois, gender,
1: male. Always responding pays tribute to all first responders who have paid the ultimate sacrifice. We will now read the names of those brave firefighters who have lost their lives in the line of duty. Firefighter fatalities in the United States currently set at 57. Here are the names of the latest to pay the ultimate sacrifice.
0: Roger Elliott Estes, Lieutenant, South Claiborne Volunteer Fire Department. On Monday, July 4th, Lieutenant Roger Elliot Estes was serving on traffic control duties at a fire department fundraiser when he was struck by a passing truck. Fellow responders immediately performed CPR, including ALS care. EMS transported Lieutenant Estes to the Claiborne Medical Center, where he passed away shortly after arrival. Lieutenant Estes was 77 years old.
1: Always Responding will continue to pay tribute each and every episode to all the brave men and women who paid the ultimate sacrifice so they are never forgotten.
0: We'll also update the numbers for first responder suicides. And as of today, there have been 64 law enforcement officers, 11 firefighters, 4 correction officers, and 1 dispatcher who have committed suicide this year alone. Like we mentioned on our last episode,
1: if you log on to the website, www. Always Responding Podcast.com. Then click on the Resource tab. You'll find several resources available for you to check out. Click on any of the links in the resource pages and you'll be taken directly to the website, which provides you with all the information you may need.
0: Always Responding will continue to work with many associated organizations to ensure all first responders receive the help and resources we all need to ensure we all have a long and healthy career. We would now like to welcome onto the show, and this is a first for Always Responding. We are taking the show abroad overseas, all the way to Japan. Please join me and Sean, and welcome to Always Responding, our dear friend, retired 20-year law enforcement veteran, Russ. Welcome to the show, brother. Hey, thanks
2: guys. I appreciate you having me on today.
0: Always, man. First and foremost, how's, how's life in Japan, man?
2: Oh, it's great. You know, I retired about two and a half years ago, moved out here, and I really am living the dream life. Uh, I'm uh, working as a scuba instructor, on the tropical island of Okinawa. You may remember Okinawa from the Karate Kid, Mr. Miyagi.
0: And um,
2: I live uh, 100 yards away from a beach, so things are going really well.
0: Yeah, if anybody was on our website and also on our Instagram page, you may have seen the uh, photo that I put up there of the uh, the sunset. Was it a sunset or sunrise, Russ, that I put on there?
2: Sun, yes. Sunset. The sunset. And I actually, yeah, took that photo actually from my balcony. So oh, I'm right on the water. you
0: incredible. You're, you're right there. Uh, you are living the life. You've been out there for how long now? Uh, two and a half years. Oh. Sean and I were talking just a little bit ago about how close I am to retirement. Now you're actually making me really, really think hard about pulling the plug. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> 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 Might have to move out there with you and take up diving.
2: Absolutely.
0: So let's talk a little bit uh, before we dive into, uh, pardon the pun, um, the rest of the podcast here. <laughs> um, what? It, just some of your experience when you were in law for, law enforcement.
2: Oh uh, yeah. So I joined the department in 2000. I was a patrol officer in one of the busier areas of town till about 2007. Uh, in 2007, I um, uh, tried out to become an instructor at the police academy. I was accepted and I moved over to the police academy and worked there as an academy instructor for a few years. Uh, transferred over to um, the advanced officers training section, um, was there for uh, about four years. I decided that I needed to get back on patrol just to kind of stay in touch with what was going out there, you know, on, uh, with patrol officers, make sure I would, didn't uh, lose the edge, so to say. Uh, and then after a few years back on patrol, I was transferred back into the advanced training section, which is where I finished up my career.
1: Russ, during your time in advanced training, do you feel you learned anything in regards to how training in itself or lack thereof can affect positively or negatively towards an officer's mental or physical well-being?
2: Absolutely. So first and foremost, you know, the, the attitude that the officers would have uh, coming into training would be, would be very important. Uh, Unfortunately, on a lot of police departments nationwide, they tell you to do this training, do that training, check this box, get online and do this and do that. Um, And then when it's actually time to do the training, they tell you that there's some extra patrol duties that they they want you to do or they take away the training time. So in a lot of situations, officers kind of feel like training is uh, a bit of a burden Um, Because the department is making them, yet not allowing them the proper time or even the proper facilities to do the training in. So when they show up, a lot of times the attitude that they have was already negative. And when you're starting in a negative in a training environment, it can be very difficult to turn that into a positive so that the officer actually walks away having felt like it was beneficial to them. And when an officer leaves training going, okay, well, that was a waste of my time, mentally that affects them because it's going to show when they have to perform in the heat of the moment under stress because the training maybe was provided, but they didn't accept the training because of the attitude or the training that was provided to them wasn't sufficient enough to help them in a critical incident.
0: Playing on that, did you see firsthand how the lack of training would affect certain officers' ability to make a decision during the training scenarios?
2: Absolutely, because lack of training basically translates into a lack of alternate outcomes or a lack of alternate choices, uh, in particular with regards to use of force, uh, a situation where an officer may need to grab onto a suspect, may need to deploy a taser, or even in some circumstances, utilize lethal force. If they don't have the training and they're mentally not prepared for that, when it comes time to make a decision, it really limits their ability to come up with a viable formula to be successful in that particular incident. So absolutely.
0: Take what you learned from those scenarios, and then in your opinion, could you see, like, if an officer made the same kind of mistakes in an actual incident, could it have a lasting effect on that officer based on the fact that he or she did not train accordingly?
2: Absolutely, because, you know, after a critical incident occurs, a lot of things happen with the first responder. You know, there's a mental stress portion of it. There's also a physical stressor, and that turns into a long-time stress. And as officers or first responders replay this critical incident in their head over and over and over, which they do, um, they're certainly going to be questioning why they did certain things. And one of the things that they're going to ask themselves is, first of all, was I trained appropriately? And when that training was occurring, was I paying attention and was I absorbing the training that I needed to? And so they're going to reflect back on that. And it's either going to come down to the fact that the training was provided to them and they didn't accept it or they didn't take it seriously, or the agency that they worked for just didn't provide them the training, and that's going to leave a lasting effect on them because the decision that they made was based on the background and the training that they had.
1: Russ, you were part of the retraining for officers involved in either dynamic calls like OISs or calls involving substantial bodily injuries, things like that, correct?
0: Yes. Without getting into like specifics of those type of calls, do you feel the retraining was sufficient and that the officers were not only getting the physical training, defensive tactics, firearms, etc., but were they also receiving the mental services, like was there any PTSD issues? And if so, were these being managed properly?
2: Okay, well, I'm glad you guys brought this up because this was actually kind of my specialty when I was in the, uh, in the training section in that what I noticed about a lot of standard police training is it was very check the box, arrive on call, check the box. Uh, Announce on radio, check the box, step out of car, check the box. Um, But we weren't really explaining to officers what was going to occur if the situation went critical or went dynamic. So one of the things that I implemented into the training program was helping officers understand that acute stress, in other words, stress that occurs during a critical incident that happens immediately is normal. But with proper training and understanding that type of stress, that officers can control it. So let me give you a couple of examples. First of all, in a critical incident with acute stress, you're going to get very, very narrow vision. We call it tunnel vision. I'm sure you've heard of that. You're also going to experience what's known as auditory exclusion. In other words, your ears are going to shut off because you don't need to hear something. If you're looking at it and you can see that it's a threat, your vision is gonna become the primary assessment on that. Also something else that happens is the heart rate increases, the breathing increases, and there's kind of a slowing of time, uh, kind of a slow motion effect that you get uh, with your mind as well. And for officers that aren't aware and don't realize that these physiological things are going to occur, It can be very, very, very stressful and induce panic. And so one of the things that I implemented was to explain all these different physiological factors to the officers, and then actually have them rerun the scenario that they were involved in or a scenario that was very, very similar and allowed them to experience these things. So I would actually take the officer's heart rate before, during, and after the scenario and allow them to compare it to see how they reacted to that. So... For officers that had never experienced it before, it was very eye-opening to them because they can realize that it's a normal part of the critical stress process, and they know how to deal with it. And by running them through a scenario, even not quite the exact same scenario that they may have been involved in in real life, but something similar, which would allow a different outcome of the scenario, allow the officers to kind of digest and process everything.
1: Russ, with all that time you spent in training, do you feel like there was anything that could have been done differently or better, especially for the officers who were being put back through after dynamic calls, like we touched on a few minutes ago?
2: Yeah, well, one of the things I noticed with regards to, you know, how officers were acting or how they were feeling when they came back through training was that putting them through the training scenario, most officers actually, after the scenario, would turn to me and say, hey, you know, Russ, um... I don't know how you did it, but you just made me feel like I was there again. And they were, you know, they, they had a cold sweat running, Their heart rate was increased again. Uh, their voice was crackling a little bit. And that was the goal of the training was to have them relive that and re-experience that. Um, so I think from the perspective of the stress that was induced on the officers after the critical incident in the, if you want to call it remedial training um, I think we did a really good job with reproducing the effects of that to allow the officer to understand what happened with their own physiological you know, things that were going on during the incident. And then they could walk away from the training feeling a little bit better about um, the decision that they made and understand that maybe it wasn't the best decision, but here are the reasons why it happened the way it happened. And all of that, taken into consideration, once they leave the training area and they go back home and they lay down or they're watching TV and they're replaying this incident in their mind or starting to feel the effects of uh, post-traumatic stress, if you will, they're going to be thinking about these things and, and, and what they could have perhaps done better.
0: No, that makes complete sense. It really you know, does. You know, now that you have retired and you've been living in Japan and living the high life for a couple of years now, what advice would you have for the, any new first responder that's just starting out? Yeah, well, that's a great question.
2: Um, so I would say seek out training. Um, and what I mean by that is if, if the agency that you work for is, is only providing the minimum, and I'll give you an example. I, I remember being a new officer and being told that we, we were going to train in defensive tactics. Um, me being a, a martial artist from the time I was like eight or nine years old, defensive tactics was always one of those things that I was very interested in. But as a new officer, you know, I wasn't a defensive tactics instructor or anything yet. So I just kind of went along with whatever the training of the day was. And on this particular training session, we stood up in the back of the briefing room after our patrol briefing and the instructor said, all right, take out your baton and swing it 10 times. Holster up, all right, hit the street. That was our defensive tactics training for wow. today. So uh, it's unfortunate, and I know that there's agencies out there that are doing much better jobs training their officers these days, but I would say as a new first responder, whether it's EMT, um, whether it's fire, whether it's police, if there's some training that you believe that you need and your agency isn't providing it at the level that you think it needs to be at, is to seek it out on your own. There are a number of uh, reasonably priced, if you want to say, um, law enforcement, fire, medic training companies out there that do fantastic jobs to supplement training that agencies aren't providing for officers. So that would be my first, my first uh, word of advice is seek out training.
1: Oh, well, that sounds good. Hey, Russ, what about those veterans that are getting ready to retire, that they're preparing to retire? What kind of advice would you give them?
2: Oh yeah, that's another that's another great one because you know I've been retired two and a half years, and um, you know you hear stories of people that you know retire and a month later they they're a hundred pounds heavier than they were, they're unhealthy, they're in the hospital, and you know within a few years of retirement have maybe even unfortunately passed away. I'm at two and a half years of retiring now, and I'm happy to say that I'm roughly the same weight that I was when I, when I retired. So I'm doing an okay job as far as that goes. But um, getting ready for retirement, hey, remember what your hobbies are. Whether it's a sport, um, whether it's uh, you know fishing, doing something outdoors, spending time with your family, whatever it is, stay with that because that's going to be very, very important, especially after retirement when you take away having to go in for your 10-hour or 12-hour shift. Uh, and dealing with everything, and now suddenly you're sitting at home just watching TV, and it's very possible that your health might start to go downhill. So stay active, enjoy your hobbies, and enjoy your family, and live life to its fullest because, hey,
1: we only live once. Those are some great words, Russ.
0: Hey, listen, Russ, as we come to an end of, of this episode, it's another edition of something that we hear on Always Responding call War Stories. It's a little edition at the end of every episode. Uh, we ask our guests, and you're our guest tonight, uh, to talk about a call or just some crazy incident they responded to while on the job. On today's edition of War Stories, we are very excited to have our guest, Retired law enforcement veteran, twenty years. Russ, who's joining us all the way from Japan to provide us with one of his war stories. So, Russ, we are all yours.
2: Hey, thanks, guys. I, I appreciate it. You know, as a as an experienced yeah. first responder, um, anyone has uh, a, a plethora of uh, war stories. But um, uh, the call that I was going to talk about um, was uh, serious, yet. Funny, um, so I think your listeners will 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 enjoy it. Um, so uh, we received a call. I was on patrol in a busy area of town. Uh, it was early in the morning. I had just logged on, maybe grabbed a coffee, and was heading out. And received a call of an unresponsive male in a vehicle parked behind an adult bookstore in um, the uh, southern part of town. So my partner and I start heading that direction. Uh, we locate the silver vehicle, I believe, that the individual was in, and there was a, a male driver uh, seated in the driver's seat, and his head was down on the steering wheel, and we, uh, you know, we yelled out to him from uh, where our patrol cars were, about 15, 20 feet away, just being cautious to approach. He didn't respond, so we walked up on, on the vehicle. Um, when we got to the vehicle, uh, we could see that the windows were up. It was, uh, you know, still early in the morning, uh, but it was getting hot and he was sweating profusely. And we also noticed that he was completely naked. So we tapped on the window. Yeah, we tapped on the window um, and said, you know, try to get his attention. It didn't look like he was breathing. Uh, he wasn't moving at all. So we had to, uh, you know, speed up our response a little bit. Luckily, the vehicle door was open. Um, so we opened the vehicle door, um, uh, you know, grabbed onto him, and we're going to pull him out to see if we need to start rendering aid. Well, as we did that, um, he we, we thought he was seat belted in because he, he was not coming out of the vehicle when we were grabbing onto him. But I looked, and the seat belt wasn't on. And uh, my partner you know, kind of yelled at me and pointed at the steering wheel. And I looked down at the steering wheel, and this gentleman had actually tied his private parts with a belt to the steering wheel of the vehicle so <laughs> at, at this point we had to determine what the priorities were obviously what well, we wanted to be able to you know lay him the position where we could effectively uh you know administer cpr if we needed to but um as we as we were dealing with the belt and the steering wheel and the private parts we also <laughs> noticed that what we thought was the sweat on his body was not actually sweat. Uh, I think it was mineral oil or baby oil. So oh, he had co- it, he had co- he had covered his entire body in uh, in baby oil, tied his private parts to the steering <laughs> wheel of the vehicle, rolled the windows up, and went to sleep. Oh, and um, yeah, so uh, eventually, after after going through a few pairs of latex gloves, my <laughs> partner and I were able to. Uh, successfully un- untie the knot so to say, <laughs> and uh, lay the gentleman down. And um, luckily at that time he started to uh, gain consciousness. And um, I think we ended up just transporting him for a medical issues. So I'm going, I'm going to assume he was under the influence of uh, methamphetamine, perhaps uh, <laughs> knowing that particular part of town that we were in on that day. Probably easy and maybe he just had a really, really, yeah, he had a really good night at the adult bookstore. So, uh, <laughs> Yeah. So not exactly a critical incident but <laughs> um you know you don't show you don't show up on a uh, on a call expecting to see someone's private parts tied to a vehicle. So Uh, we thought
0: that was uh, kind of funny. Well, listen, Russ, you know, it it was a pleasure catching up with you today, brother. Thank you for taking your time out of your busy schedule and sharing your expertise with us. We are so blessed to be able to have veterans such as yourself as resources to have access to that are willing to speak uh, uh, with us on topics such as trauma, stress, and suicide, and how they affect first responders throughout our entire career. I truly believe our veteran first responders have a wealth of knowledge on these and so many other topics that can benefit every first responder in every aspect of their career. So Russ, again, thank you. We hope you keep on enjoying your retirement. And if you ever do get back over here to this side of the ocean, you better stop by and you better say hello and uh, we're going to share a beer or two or three together, brother.
2: Uh, sounds good, gentlemen. I appreciate you having me on today, and you guys are doing a really good thing for these first responders out there. Keep up the good work.
0: We appreciate it. And Thanks, uh, be- before you go, I need you to tell all my listeners and me and Sean goodbye in Japanese, if you wouldn't mind.
2: Oh, okay. Well, the easy way to say it is sayonara, but I'm going to throw a sentence in
0: there.
2: For all right, okay, perfect. Ready? Yep. Here we go. Hi. Uh, First responder podcast
0: This is what Always Responding is all about, getting veterans together, providing our experience and knowledge to as many of our brother and sister first responders as we possibly can to pay tribute to all those who paid the ultimate sacrifice and ensure their names and stories are never forgotten. We also want to ensure the ones who are struggling, who feel like they are alone and have no one to talk to, are not alone. You have a family who care about you and will always be here for you. There are programs out here for you and all you need to do is reach out and there will always be someone there to answer your call. For law enforcement that help is Copline, call 1-800-COPLINE.
1: That's 1-800-267-5463. For our brothers and sisters from the fire department, there's a support group for you as well. It's called FireStrong and you can access their website by logging on to www.firestrong.org.
0: We are wrapping up another edition of Always Responding. Thank you for spending some time with Sean and I today. We truly appreciate you. We are all in this together, and we are all first responders. If you're in law enforcement, corrections, fire, EMS, or dispatcher, and would love to be on the show, please email us at responding at gmail.com. We would love to get you on and interview you for one of our upcoming shows. But remember, everyone on the show will be asked to provide a war story for the episode's ending. So have one ready, no exceptions. We also have our website up and running. Please stop by and check it
1: out. www.alwaysrespondingpodcast.com Be sure to stop by the website. Click on the Tribute tab. There you can honor the recent fallen first responders that were read from this episode. There is also a Resource tab on the website. There you can find numerous resources available for all first responders and their families. There are so many organizations out there that are ready and willing to help us. All it takes is a phone call or an email. Again, they are on our website in the resource tab, www.alwaysrespondingpodcast.com.
0: We can also be found on Facebook at KB Always Responding Andrew or Always Responding Podcast and on Instagram at hashtag Always This is the first episode of Always Responding where I've had a co-host And I want to thank my brother and dear friend, Sean, for joining me today. Sean, this has been a dream come true for me, and I hope you've had as much fun as I had. I sure have. It's been a great time. Thanks again for spending some time with us today. And a huge thank you to our guest, retired 20-year law enforcement veteran, Russ. We truly enjoyed catching up with him again. Sean, thank you for being here, and I look forward to many more episodes with you, my friend. I hope everyone has a long, safe, and healthy career. This is KB and Sean with always responding saying thank you. And remember, as they would always say in that eighties cop show, let's be safe out there.
2: i